As we come to uh, another Christmas season, the thing that is interesting um, about Christmas season is um, it's a story that you have heard again and again. Uh, it's a story that um, kind of has become, uh, you know, as close to uh, something that we would have in our modern day culture, our modern day society uh, that would be similar to oral cultures. You could kind of talk to anyone on the street and you could say, hey, quick, tell me the, the story of, of the first Christmas. What was this about? You know, and, and most likely uh, any person off the street could kind of get you the rough details. Oh, yeah, you know, like there's like this baby and like he was supposed to be like the king and like, you know, there's a star and angels and, you know, everyone can kind of roughly sketch it out for you. And the way that culture works is, you know, uh, there are those who have heard bits and pieces, and some people will dive a little bit deeper into the story, but there are some portions of the story that will kind of start to, to hold, uh, will start to kind of become a little bit dull. They will start to, um, to be a story that, that is true, but the focus has been lost. And I, and I think for any time that we tell a story, you don't just want to get the details right, but you want to get what is the, the heart of the story? What is the moral of the story? What is the, the purpose for the story? Not just what is the narrative and is it entertaining? And I think Luke records for us the story of the birth of Christ in a very specific way, delivered to us in a specific way, so that we might understand the implications of letting this story become dull to our hearts. Luke records this in a way so that when we consider what is actually being said and how it's actually being responded to, that it doesn't leave us with another choice to just kind of take it as a, a nice narrative, a nice story but rather we have to engage with it in an intellectual way. We have to become a thinking people and engage with the story of the birth of Christ that uh, it really draws us into the story and forces us to make decisions to see how this story that took place so many years ago impacts our life today. And so as we look at the text this morning, we want to look at the message of Christmas as told through uh, the angel Gabriel to Mary, who will be the mother of Jesus. And we want to see uh, that story and how, what she does with it, how she responds to it. And so we will pick up in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, and we'll look at this in, in three parts that will kind of help us understand how we're going to engage with Christmas, how we're going to engage with the text. And so first, we'll look at the truth of Christmas. Second, the reality of Christmas. And thirdly, the power of Christmas. The truth of Christmas, the reality of Christmas, and the power of Christmas. <clears throat> we read in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent 
from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So we get the story, the classic story of Christmas here. We get the facts. There is an angel who comes to this young woman, a virgin, and he tells her, you are going to have a baby. This baby is going to be called Jesus. She's like, how the heck is this going to happen? Uh, in fact, uh, we see that, that she is a little bit confused and she expresses her confusion. She's not really sure what's going to happen and the angel fills her in on some of the details. Here's, here's what's going to happen. This, this, uh, this child who will be promised to you or who, who, who you will bear, will be this promised one. She's told that this child will be called holy, will be the son of God. Now, this message that she receives, this is the truth of Christmas. What happens? It's the facts. And this is something that society often overlooks. They like the narrative and the story and who doesn't like babies and, you know, that sort of underdog sort of story. But yet society overlooks Christmas very often. And we, and, and we have to see what is the story of Christmas actually about. Well, the first thing that we see here with Mary, after she receives this info, after she gets this message from an angel, is we have to see that, that Christmas is all about grace. It's all about God's grace. Because think about this. Mary was one person. And it was the Lord who decided you're going to be the one who will carry the Savior. He could have gone to any, any person in this line, in David's line, any young virgin woman and said, hey, like you were going to be the, the one. But it wasn't something that Mary had asked for. It was God's favor upon her. And that's, that's exactly what grace is. It is, uh, it is God's favor that is undeserved. It's given to Mary. 
undeserved favor with God. Look at what it says here uh, in verse 28. He repeats it two times, the angel. He came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And then down in verse 30, he says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. It wasn't anything that she had done to deserve this, but it was God's favor upon her that was completely undeserved. She hadn't done anything to receive this. She hadn't done anything to receive this blessing, but it's God's pure grace upon her life. Now, the angel goes on and he says, not only is this God's favor upon you, not only is God's grace upon you, but God's grace is woven all throughout Christmas. It's woven all throughout the story. Look now at verse 31. Here's what the angel says. He tells her this, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. That word Jesus there, it is uh, the translation of it. It means Savior. He is the one who will save. God saves. And it is God who is rescuing. Even the name of Christ is one that is packed with the meaning of grace. That Jesus will save. Jesus will rescue. Now he goes on, and we see the continuing story in verse 32, and he tells her this. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So the first thing that she's told regarding this, uh, re- regarding this child who will be born is that he is going to be the son of the Most High. The angel says that, the, that Jesus, this Savior, is specifically God's son. God's gracious presence among his people. This is the word, the bread of life, the image of God coming into our timeline, our humanity, breaking in to rescue us. And so she gets this crazy, unbelievable news that she's going to have this baby and he's going to be the savior and this, his whole work and person is wrapped up in grace. And not only that, is that this child will be the fulfillment of all the prophecies that she has heard throughout her whole life and all of the uh, Jewish people had heard throughout all of their lives that there would be this promised one who would come in the line of David who would rule over Israel. But not only over Israel, but over all the nations. Here's what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10, speaking of Jesus, in that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nation seek, and his dwelling place shall be glorious. All of the nations, not only Israel, but all people will seek after this Jesus and will only be able to approach him on the basis of grace. His kingdom will continue. His kingdom will not end. And so do you, do you see what is, what is being promised to Mary here? She's being told 
that she will be the recipient of God's grace, not only on herself, but that through her, God's grace, through Jesus, God's grace will be poured out upon all of mankind. That we will have something that we do not deserve purely because of God's grace. And this is radical for us today because as we think about this, this means that Jesus' kingdom, which never ends, means Jesus is alive today, ruling and reigning, pouring out his grace upon us. We are the recipients of this grace. Now, she's told this story, and rightly, this story sounds a little bit unbelievable. It, sta- it sounds untrue. There are some who might even be familiar with this story, not only within the church, but outside of the church. And this story sounds absolutely unbelievable. Here's why. The claims that are being made are outrageous. For you and I, it doesn't really seem that way because we feel uh, a distance to what has happened in history. But these claims that are being made are absolutely outrageous. They're scandalous claims. Because the way that things work is that kings do not give up everything for their people. In fact, the opposite is true. Throughout history, the servants of the king, those who were his subjects, who were within a kingdom, often suffered greatly for the comfort of the king. They often had to give up things. They often had to uh, give up their children. They had to give away their wealth so that the king might live a more comfortable lifestyle. They're often asked to sacrifice for the sake of the king's comfort. But to hear a story where the king himself says, I'm going to to sacrifice my own comfort. Jesus himself has all riches, all comfort, all authority, and instead chose to suffer for his people. It's a story that just breaks people's minds because who would do that? It doesn't make any sense. But he gave it all up for his people. This is the truth of Christmas, that God is so gracious that he would give up what was rightfully his so that people might receive what was not theirs. He was rich, but he became poor for our sake so that we might have riches in him. It's pure grace. It's a true story. This is the truth of Christmas. It's totally unbelievable, but it's true. When you consider it, it's like, that that cannot be real. But it's true. Now this angel, he gives Mary this little word of confirmation. And he tells her this, For nothing, verse 37, will be impossible with God. And Mary responds, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The angel reminds her that this isn't just something that is 
A story, although it sounds unbelievable, it is true. Now, the important thing about us understanding the truth of Christmas is that the truth of Christmas, that God would give up his rights so that we might have his rights. The truth of Christmas is an absolute truth. It's not just true for you, but it has to be true for everyone. Just because you believe the facts to be true doesn't mean you believe it to be true for everyone. It's important that when we consider the truth of Christmas is that this truth is for everyone. It's not enough to just say like, oh, I believe that. It has to be that you believe it and that everyone also has to see that this is the truth. This isn't a selective truth that can be considered. And when the truth of Christmas when you consider this claim that God would be so gracious that what was rightfully his, he gave up so that his people might have what was not theirs, when that truth hits, uh, it moves from your head to your heart, it forces you to live out the reality of that truth. It forces you to make a decision. You're confronted with the truth. And that brings you to the reality of Christmas. Verse 39, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary now has this interaction with her relative. She immediately, after receiving the truth of Christmas, she immediately moves to go visit her, uh, her relative Elizabeth. Perhaps she goes for verification as the angel tells her, hey, you know, this, uh, uh, your relative, she also is pregnant. She was barren before, and something has kind of come about. Uh, with her. And so she's like, oh, I'm going to go visit. Seems like she's in on this. Perhaps she visits uh, for, for verification, but certainly she visits for camaraderie. Something's up with Elizabeth. So she's like, I got to go like, see what's happening here. And so she gets over there and immediately upon entering the house, Elizabeth makes this grand confession. We're told that she is filled with the Holy Spirit. We're told that John, uh, who is in the womb, he would be filled from the, with the Holy Spirit from birth. And so they are responding to the presence of Jesus. Here's Elizabeth's confession. Blessed are you among women, among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. 
And she says, And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. You see what happens with Elizabeth? She has already experienced God's grace upon her. And she now brings the reality of Christmas into Mary's life. Mary has believed the truth of Christmas. She has already said, okay, like maybe, maybe this is like this thing that the angel told me is real. And upon entering into Elizabeth's house, Elizabeth helps that truth turn into a reality. It helps land that in her heart. It affirms this truth for Mary. Because Mary didn't even get like, this chance to explain, but yet Elizabeth is like, look, I have this uh, evidence, this manifestation of my child who I've been told is going to be the one who will proclaim the coming of the king. He's like already pumped. And she's filled with the Holy Spirit and she gets this word from the Lord, this word of affirmation. And she reminds Mary, of the historical nature of what is happening to her. She says this, And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. She's rooting it all the way back in the history of Israel and goes all the way back to the garden to the very first promise. You see, Elizabeth is connecting the dots, filled with the Holy Spirit. She's like, something is happening here, and you need to believe. This needs to transform from the truth into your reality. She's looking back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, where the Lord brings down this curse upon Satan in this form of a serpent. He says this, Genesis 1, 14, the Lord said to the serpent, Bless, uh, or, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And he says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. You see, this is the, the very first proclamation of the gospel of what would happen, that God redeeming. And Elizabeth is tracing this trajectory, and she looks back and she's like, you are the fulfillment. You are the one who is going to bear the one who will crush Satan. She sees what's happening. And look at what she says. Blessed is she who believed that, were, that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. For Elizabeth, she makes the connection and she equates blessing with belief. The truth of Christmas has now turned into the reality of Christmas. And she says, when you live out that reality, you will be blessed. You will be blessed. What happens for Mary here, the result of hearing this, is a foundational change of thinking. She's totally rocked. She has a foundational change of thinking. She is someone who believes in the truth of Christ, but suddenly the reality of Christmas, it activates in her heart. 
it goes from being in her head and moves to her heart. And it forces her to respond. And when this happens, the reality of Christmas then confronts every aspect, every area of her life. Every single area. When the truth of Christmas becomes real, the reality of Christmas then forces you to change everything. When it moves from your head to your heart, it forces you to change everything. Because if Christmas is true, if it's real, then it means that Jesus is a Savior and that you need a Savior. If Christmas is true and if it's real, then it means that Jesus is the everlasting King and his kingdom will not end. And that means that you need to come under his rule and reign. Everything that you think was yours and you think that belongs to you has to come under his rule and reign. It's all his as the king, rightfully. If Christmas is true and Christmas is real, it means that Jesus is the Son of the Most High. He is the Son of God. He is God. And because he is Savior, because he is the everlasting king, because he is God, you can know for certain that he loves you. Because he came to be near to you. The king gave up what was his so that we might have what should not belong to us. That grace was poured out upon us. He made himself poor so that we might have his life, his identity, his benefits. And so when that truth of Christmas turns into the reality of Christmas in your heart, you must respond. It explodes and permeates every area and aspect of your life, and it causes you to respond. And that is the power of Christmas. When you realize what is the truth, when you realize the implications for your life, then it gives you the power to live out the implications of the gospel. It gives you the power to be children of God to claim all of the rights that belong to you as sons and daughters of the king, as full heirs in the household of God. And so we look now, lastly, at the power of Christmas. How then do we live? Here's what happens. Mary receives this truth. She hears the truth. It turns into the reality. And now she responds And we see the power. Verse 46. She responds in this song, in in this poetic fashion. What's happening here is uh, essentially worship. It's broken down kind of into three different sections, but we'll look at them uh, one by one. Here's what she says. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, 
For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. You see, Mary's heart begins to sing. It begins to pour out praises. It begins to pour out these declarations as the reality of Christmas explodes in her heart. She realizes what is actually happening. It isn't just a truth that is for some people. It becomes a truth for her and for all mankind. And then it goes from being the truth to the reality of her life. And that results in her heart just exploding into praise. Here's what she says. This is important for us. Here's, here's how we see that uh, the reality of Christmas leads to this power in Christmas. Here's her response. So we look at it. verse 46. Here's what she says. My soul magnifies the Lord. Now, we've heard this similar phrasing at other points in, uh, in the Psalms, other points in Scripture, where the psalmist, you know, will speak of magnify the Lord with me. You know, we magnify him with thanksgiving, things like this. But here, here uh, we, we want to consider what, what, does, what does Mary mean here? Well, as we think about uh, that, mag- that word magnify, what does it mean to magnify? It simply means to, to make something that is known more known. Right? You might be considering an object that is, that is small, and uh, you pull out a magnifying glass, and you want to get a closer look. You want to see the detail. You want to inspect it. And so you pull out your magnifying glass and you put it there and you can get, you can get closer and you can see the details that maybe you, you were not familiar with at a distance. That's one way as we look at magnifying uh, there with a magnifying glass. Up on the hill here at, uh, at Lawrence Berkeley Labs, they have the world's most powerful electron microscope. 20 plus million dollars. I mean, this thing is insane. I watched a ton of YouTube videos about it and went down the rabbit hole. This thing is insane. It is, it can see down to the nano level and it can see like a singular atom, which is bonkers when you consider this. Um, It is ridiculous. It can see like little particles that you would never even be able to look at. And what it does is it blows them up and they have prints on their walls in there of things that are at this nano level. They have magnified this really small thing to make it uh, such 
um, such like a, a small detail of it, and they put it on their wall so that they can admire that work. And so it's easy for us to kind of see, you know, what it might be to, to magnify in, in that sort of sense. But I think one of the best ways that we think about this is through, and probably a more relatable way for you guys, <laughs> is through viral videos, right? You ever seen like a viral video? You know, maybe you get to it and there's like 5 million views on it already. But sometimes you catch them like when it's like you're in like the first thousand people to see it. You know, it's, it's, it starts off real slow. You might catch it early, but soon it's just everywhere. You can kind of make a, a prediction. When you see a video, you're like, okay, this is going to be everywhere in like four days. Like no one will stop talking about this video. It will start to catch on. And why does that happen? Well, because someone has seen something and they thought, more people need to know about this. This needs to be made known. And so they click that share button. Boom, off it goes. They're forwarding it, you know, people in email, posting on Twitter, Facebook. Oh, you guys got to see this. People are ripping it off and making the little 60-second ones for, like, Instagram. This is what happens, and it starts to take off. That is an example of something being magnified, something that is known, but it's being made more known. And so when Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord, she's not saying, oh, verbally I'm saying like, oh yeah, God, it's pretty awesome. What she's saying is the reality of Christmas has come home to me in a way, it's exploded in my heart in such a way that my, the, the entirety of my being, the wholeness of who I am, my soul not just my words, my soul, the entirety of who I am now has to be changed. It has to be transformed. It has to now respond in a way that delights in God in every aspect, and my life will now be oriented around God in a way that other people will look at it and, God, and they will see God. Her life, her soul, will be, lit, will be lived out in a way that it will then be on display for others to see. She's like, my, my life is going to be this viral nature of people seeing God's work in my life. It's her soul that is magnifying the Lord, not just her words. Sometimes words are helpful, but our lives need to be changed. Our lives need to be transformed. Whenever we find joy in Christ, we are doing the work of magnifying the Lord. This is what Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. She says, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For Mary, that is an example of how she is magnifying the Lord. She's rejoicing in the Lord. She's rejoicing in God. Whenever we find our identity in Christ, we're magnifying the Lord. Because when we, in order to find our identity in Christ, in order to... Uh, to live that out, the implications of identity in Christ, it makes Jesus known to observers. It makes Jesus known to observers. This last week, I had the opportunity to spend uh, some time with a friend who um, she... I don't know what she does. She's like all over the place. She lives around the world doing different things. But one of the things that is great about her, one of the things that, you know, I really enjoy about her is she has a bunch of social media accounts. 
And as you look at those accounts, as you look at the things that she's posting, the things that she's involved with, it's just clear that she's magnifying the Lord with her life because her soul is just seeping out Jesus. You know, and it's like, oftentimes it's, for us, it's, it's easy to think about that and be like, oh, you know, well, that's like, that's kind of weird because like, I don't want my Instagram to just be like me posting like a picture of like my Bible and like a verse every time and boom, that's what it is, means to do that for me. But when you are living out identity in Christ, that seeps into everything that you do. And for her, what that looks like, as an example on, on her account, is it, it can be like pictures of food. And she's just sharing her thankfulness about that. Or it can be pictures of, of things that you wouldn't be like, oh, that's a super spiritual picture. It's just random things, like a landscape, pictures of like a group of friends. But as you see that, and as she writes in conjunction with uh, the, that photo, it's clear that Jesus is just seeping out. And when you scroll through and you look at her account, you're not like, mm, is, is this person like a Christian or not? Like, do they love Jesus at all? You could spend 30 seconds with that account if you don't know her, and you were you absolutely clear what she's about. You don't even need 30 seconds. You could do, you could do it in 10 This is how we ought to be living in a way where our lives are seeping out Jesus. They're magnifying the Lord. They are putting him on display to observers. What are we known for? We want to be known for Jesus. Now Mary, she realizes God's grace upon her life. Look at what she says here. Verse 48. She says, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. She mentions what God has done for her. She knows that she's not deserving. She knows that God's grace is being poured out upon her life. She's looking at God's faithfulness in her life. This is a characteristic of God's children, that we are often declaring God's faithfulness in our lives. This is what it means to magnify the Lord. To be people who are declaring God's faithfulness, who are sharing that with one another, who are reflecting upon God's goodness in our lives. And then she ends with like this five, six verse like run on, like here's all the things that are awesome about God and just like sharing his character, praising his characteristics. She says uh, in verse 49, holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. She's just like, here's, here's all the awesome things. Here's like a whole bunch of things that I, I really love about God. She just gets crazy just explaining God's character. She's not bored. She's not disinterested. But this is what pours out of her as the reality of Christmas explodes in her heart. She realizes, I, I can't ignore this. It can't just be the truth. It has to be the reality that I live with. And that reality causes her 
to then live out the implications of that gospel. She moves from the truth of Christmas to the reality of Christmas and then lives from here on out in the power of Christmas. She lives orienting her life in a way where her soul magnifies the Lord. Now, I'm really thankful about Mary because she seems like we get a good we get a good sketch of her because it seems like wow like good job like you like graduated uh you, you started off like maybe not so good and then like you moved to the next level and you believed and then uh seems like you know you're inspired and filled with the holy spirit responding in praise and then like we get an, an you know and it's like okay okay like you're like really good from here on out but that's not the case because we get like a just a little bit later down the road when Jesus is like already has this massive following and he's fulfilling the calling that God has put on his life and Mary's like uh can Jesus can you like come out here because like I'm kind of like embarrassed of what you're doing like this is really weird she's like there she's on board but she still has to grow she still has to be discipled she still has to learn what it means to walk she's on the right path and I'm encouraged because you know like that's that's how I have to live I've got it I it's not just like one and done I got it all together like even Mary, who's like called blessed and has experienced the grace of God, she's out there like calling out Jesus. And she's like, uh, like sending in Jesus's brothers like, hey, like your mom wants you. And Jesus like has to like kind of set her straight. Be like, look, here's the deal. I'm so thankful that we get a full picture of her because it's not like, oh, Mary was like all perfect from here on out. Because, you know, we're going to, to blow it as we try to magnify the Lord. We're going to start off good. We're going to stumble. But the, the, the power of Christmas is living in that grace that God has given us. The ability to repent. The ability to grow. To be changed and transformed as Christ works within us. And so as you live out this next couple weeks, as we consider this time of year, Christmas, don't just consider the truth of Christmas as for you. It's true for everyone. Live in a way where it's true for you. Let the reality of Christmas take hold of your heart, take root, and then live from that power. Live out those implications and let your soul the entirety of your being, of who you are, magnify the Lord. Magnify the Lord. John the Baptist, upon coming, uh, you know, and there's this time where he was more popular than Jesus, he tells his disciples, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. That's what magnifying the Lord is all about. He must increase, and I must decrease. Now, let me tell you this. You're never going to increase Jesus by simply trying to make yourself less. If you try to say, oh, I'm going to think about myself less, it's not going to work. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to 
ordinarily I would want to maybe spend my time or invest my time or do this thing, you know, in my way, but I'm just going to like, you know, not do it this week or this time. It, it will never work if you try to approach it that way. It won't work. The only way to do it is to say, I'm going to make Jesus the priority. I'm going to make him known. You can't do it by going after yourself. You have to do it by going after Christ. If you try to do it the other way, it'll just fail and you'll be tired. But when you try to make much of Jesus, when you try to make him great, you automatically diminish yourself. You automatically adjust those proportions. And so you have to spend your time pursuing Christ, enjoying Jesus, getting away, orienting your life around him in every aspect. And naturally, you will decrease. And so live out that reality. Live out the implications of the gospel. And take hold of the power of Christmas. Let's pray. We'll respond together. Lord, we're thankful for your faithfulness that you have shown us such grace. Lord, in coming and living this life on our behalf. Lord, it's outrageous that you would come and live in this way where you would give up all things for us. That you would come take on the role of a servant in the likeness of mankind. Laying aside everything that belonged to you rightfully so that that might be rightfully given to us. As you took our punishment, as you took our suffering, And so, Lord, we want, we want you to rule and reign over our lives. We don't want to be stuck at the truth of Christmas and believing just the story and believing the, that there's some important elements of it, but we want it to be the reality of our lives so that we might respond and live out of the power of Christmas. The truth is nice, but we want it to be true of us, of the way we live. And so convict us by your Holy Spirit. Bring us into obedience. Help us to respond. Lord, we need your help. Lord, you, uh, when, when we were your enemies, when we were against you, you chased us down. When we hated you and you, you gave your life for us. And so, Lord, even now, as it's difficult for us to reorient our life and make changes, chase us down again. We know it's for our best. We know it's for you to work in our hearts. We know that it will only lead 
to our flourishing, our good. And so help us to magnify you with the entirety of our lives. Change us, transform us, Jesus. We love you. Amen.